Hey friends, welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So last year, many of you are aware aware that I had some major issues with my tomato seedlings. Um, I posted about it on Instagram, but it was basically an epic failure. I killed over 150 little baby plants. Took me a long time to figure out why. But even though it was a rough year of the garden, it taught me some really important lessons. And one of the silver linings that came from that whole disaster is that it really kickstarted my interest in soil health. That has been an interest that I kind of had bubbling under the surface for a number of years. But after last year, I realized, you know, I needed to start figuring some things out. So the way that I ultimately diagnosed what was going on with my tomato seedling disaster was through a soil testing kit that I got from Redmond Agriculture. And that told me what my potting soil was lacking and it helped me figure out how to pivot and move forward. And so ever since then, I've been intrigued by this idea of being able to test our soil at home because this process um, has gotten a lot simpler over the years. And also, of course, the flip side of that is once we have that data, What the heck do we do with it, especially if you're not a soil scientist? So we are going straight to the source today, and I am so very honored to have Aaron Ellison with me today. He works in Redmond Agriculture. He has a master's degree in animal science. He's worked on beef ranches, um, on dairy operations. He's been in the field. He knows his stuff. He understands agriculture at a very deep level, and I can't wait to talk about soil with you today, Aaron. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Yeah. So I guess let's just kind of start off at the beginning. That makes makes sense. Um, let's say I have a homesteader or a gardener listening to this episode right now, and perhaps they've never tested their soil in their gardens. They've never even considered that might be something they should do. What might be some reasons that someone would want to consider going forward with a test? With a soil test? It gives you an idea of kind of where you are. And this particular test that you mentioned will give you a pretty good indication of, you know, what your pH is, which is a kind of a guideline for the growing environment that you have. And it gives you a breakdown of the mineral profile in your soil. And this particular test is helpful because they only look at the available nutrients. They're not looking at total Because, for example, like in my place, we have a lot of iron in the soil. Well, everywhere there is because it's like the fourth most abundant element in the Earth's crust. So there's going to be lots of it. But I don't have that much that's highly available. So this test will give you the the available nutrients. And then with the pH, it doesn't give you everything. This test assumes that you have good organic matter, that you have the ability for nutrients to move within the soil pretty well. Um, so it doesn't give you those readings. That may or may not be true in everyone's case. So there are some other things that we could look at too as indicators. Um, but it does give you a good baseline. At least it gives you something. You kind of know where you are. You know, it's kind of hard to go somewhere if if you don't have a map of the area and know kind of where you're at, which intersection you're sitting at. So it's that kind of an idea. Yes, for sure. So that, that is a good place to start. Okay. Um I don't know if this is a really complicated question. I'm sure you're good at really taking this, the complicated concepts and, and breaking them down, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So here we go. Is it how, or what's the difference between the nutrients that are in the soil that aren't available 
and and then how do they become available? Like with your example of iron, you know it's there. What is the process that makes it available to the plant ultimately? I appreciate your desire for simplicity because I have the same one. I, you know, in, in all these years we have been marketed to and people try to distinguish themselves in all kinds of ways. And so we've all been victims of that and it frustrates us all, I'm sure, at some level or another. And so um, what happens, this this soil c- complex is just, it's it's huge and it is highly complex. There's no question about it. It's so complex that every year in science, we just keep learning more and more stuff. What happens is you have concepts like mineral diffusion and mineral complexation. You have a whole bunch of chemistry and biology that's going on in the soil that we're still just trying to understand. And so the term that we have begun to phrase that I really appreciate, and I actually learned it from the Dr. Mir, and I can't even pronounce his last name because he's from the Middle East, but he has spent his entire life looking at things like, you know, compost and humates and things like that. And so I'm borrowing this term from him, but he calls it nature's intelligence. Mm. You've, we've all probably seen that wheel. It looks like a wagon wheel with a whole bunch of spokes in, in there. You know, they've listed 30 minerals around the edge of that, and they've drawn lines to each one and its interaction with the other. Yeah. And that is extremely complex. And so what happens, though, is when we give the soil, and animals too for that matter, but when we give them the right kinds of inputs... Nature knows how to deal with that stuff, and nature's intelligence makes all of that work. And that's the part that I've begun to really focus on just because it's, it makes it so much simpler. We all get confused. We all hear all this fancy science, and though it's all important, what do I do with that? And so those concepts like diffusion and complexation and natural buffering and balance and proportion, those are the things that that make this a little bit easier. Make sure I'm staying on your question. Are we still headed in the right direction? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay, Joe. Yeah. And, and so you would cut out for <coughs> just a second, you froze up and I think maybe, I, I think the recording will be okay. It just froze up on my, my end. So in terms of the, the mineral availability, that just comes back to the diffusion and, and things like that, that you were mentioning. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. And part of your question was, yeah. How do, how do they become available and things like that? And that is part of it. And that's why, on a soil test, just adding certain minerals may or may not help other ones become available. There are lots of things going on. You have electrical conductivity. You have cation exchange capacity, all these fancy words. You have microbes. What's going to stimulate them? What do they need? You know, it's, it's not just minerals. So when all this stuff works together in concert, that's where things start to break loose and become available. And then the ultimate is that stuff grows. Yeah. And it grows healthy. Yeah. And that's, that, that kind of brings me to something I, I wanted to mention a little bit of a behind the scenes. Um, you know, I've worked with Redmond in various capacities for a number of years. I first fell in love with salt and then I got to know the other arm of the company, which is Redmond Agriculture. And I, I've always loved them. I've, I love your guys's mission and your ethics, but I got a really neat phone call from you about a month ago, which um, honestly made me even more impressed with your company because we were preparing for this interview and we'd been talking about the possibilities of doing this. And you actually called me with some concerns. Um, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe, but here's my, my perception was in essence that you, even though 
it would be easy for Redmond's to market the magic solutions to to the soil problems with a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You you called me up and you're like, you know what? Here's what I've learned about nature's intelligence, and here's what I've learned about the whole food idea of working with soil. And I want to make sure that when we're talking on the podcast that we don't lead people down the wrong path. And I just really respected that. And can you can you dive into that a little bit deeper? And you, you touched on it a bit with um, talking about nature's intelligence, but I, I really appreciate that because I know the first time I tested my soil, my inclination was to look at my test results and go, oh, I'm low in iron and phosphorus. So I'm going to go get some iron and phosphorus from the garden store. And that might actually be the incorrect angle. And could you could you flesh that out a little bit more for the listeners? I, I can. And to introduce that, <clears throat> I gained some respect. I just stumbled across it. It was a TED Talk, actually, <clears throat> excuse me, from a Dr. Campbell, who's a professor emeritus from Cornell. And he was talking about human nutrition, but the concepts are the same. He was he he said, and I've been struggling for all these years as we continue to learn how to how to put this into words. But he said the nutrient, when we take food into our bodies or supplements or whatever, whatever we consume is not functioning the way we think it is by the time this thing goes through the very complex journey of the body and all of its processes. And the same thing happens in animals and it happens in the soil. And so this is where concepts, and this again, if we just, I was just telling one of my colleagues yesterday, if we could just, people just back up for a minute take a 500 foot view from the sky and look at things. We all know somewhere deep within that it is better for us to eat whole food than it is to try and pick apart, make a whole bunch of supplements and supplement our way to health. Now, am I saying that we should never take a supplement? No, not at all. Don't misunderstand that because sometimes there are gaps in the systems, but the whole food idea is a whole lot better. And I have spent some time in health and fitness and things like that. And I have, I have been fairly healthy my whole life. And so, um, but I think it's probably with this approach. So we all know that when we sit down to a wholesome meal with real food, that we go a lot further than we do on a protein bar and, and a a fruit roll up, you know what I mean? So that concept is what we're talking about. And so, yeah, we don't get hung up with each nutrient in isolation. Yes, they're all important. They're all part of this complex system. But nature is about optimum. Nature is not about maximum. Mm. Nature nature moves in a methodic, organized, but not a rapid fashion. And so it's not like turning a switch on and off. What we want to do, in my opinion, is kind of nudge things in the direction that nature is trying to take it. And so do we take a soil test kit and say we, we need calcium and do we give it some? We might just do that. But if you consider everything that goes into soil from structure to chemistry to uh, microbes and enzymes and fungi and all this stuff, um, the things that we feed it, it's the same concept. So when we use things like compost, and we all know that. Grandma taught us that years ago, you know. When we use things like compost and volcanic minerals, and um, or or if we have a pasture and the cows are, you know, we use, utilize the manure from the cows as it falls in the pasture, things like that, or aged leaves or whatever we have, we amend that soil with those things, and we do that for a reason. It's not just individual minerals, but 
there are a lot of things that go into that. And so if we feed the right kinds of things to the soil, then nature's intelligence figures out what to do with all those things. And when I say nudge them in the right direction, yeah, we could give it a little bit of iron and phosphorus. Like you said, that's fine. But let's make sure that the microbes have a home and let's make sure that we have electricity or electrical conductivity in our soil. Let's make sure that we have enough exchange capacity or CEC that things can move and the microbes can move stuff between them and the plant roots and that we can actually build soil. And so one of the things that I I have learned, one of the research projects we did when we started looking at the soil microbes, all these years we've measured things and thought, okay, here's how we can get better, higher nutrient-dense crops and foods. One of the things we we finally started to study was the, the soil food web or the microbes. And I know that the soils, a lot of them get just depleted or they're dead essentially biologically because when we tested it, the control group where we put the normal fertilizer programs, there was no micro, microbial activity in the soil. Mm-hmm. And after we got done with the treatment with some of this stuff that we'll talk about probably today, um, we started to wake up the bugs is what I call it. Just the bugs were awake. They started moving. And when they start moving, that's when stuff happens. And that's when your plants get nutrient dense and they start to grow. So that's, that's along those concepts. Did I hit most of that? Is there some more? Yeah, no, that's great. What would, what would be some of the primary factors that would cause those biologically dead soils? Well, one example, just last week I spent some time in Ohio and with, with one dealer out there, he said, I just got done talking about these concepts. And one of the guy down the road, his, on the same field, he had a tank of anhydrous ammonia there. Now, he said, I just, it just kind of dampened me because if he's not careful with that stuff, he's going to kill all the microbes in the soil. Mm. And so then everything we just talked about is going to be for naught. And that does and can happen. And that's probably how we, how we have got these soils to where they become a little bit sterile is too much of something that's supposed to be good. And so that's why we've gotten beyond just N, P, and K. Again, that's why we don't look at nutrients in isolation, and we got to be careful with things that aren't natural. And again, with nature being an, a, a mechanism of optimum, just because a little's good doesn't mean more is better because of that intricate balance and proportion of all of those things that make a, an ecosystem work. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Even, I mean, I've been there, I've done it. We know I, we start it, we start off a homestead journey with being more naturally minded. We want to do better. We want to have more nutritious food. We want to be more organic, but then it's so easy to fall into that um, conventional farming paradigm. Like you said, where we reduce it down to NPK and we start to try We're 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 not acting exactly like them, but we tend, I think so much of our culture is just in that box and that compartmentalized thinking. And so (laughs) even though you might not love conventional farming as a homesteader, I think this is such a valuable conversation to help us realize where we might be falling into those pitfalls of how we're thinking through our own growing spaces. And that happens, Jill, because, I mean, I went to school and I did graduate research and, and it's, it's what you're saying, because that's what we know. That's what we've been told for, you know, decades now, um, whatever comes out of university. And yeah. am I saying that's wrong? No, I'm, I'm not. But I'm also not naive enough to know that sometimes marketing pays the bills at the university, too. So not every research project is valid or 
there are lots more that are swept under the rug than actually make the paper. And so, yeah, it's just, again, if people just back up and use common sense, um, but that's, that's why the thinking is that way. And that is difficult. And that's why it's kind of cool to see people challenging status quo and challenging what's going on. And, and what I love about the younger generation these days, as much as some people cuss them, I love that they're challenging that just because that's what we figured out 40 years ago when right. half of those products were put in the soil or byproducts or something that they had to put in a landfill, but figured out we could put it on a field instead. Yeah. You know, just things like that. Um, I love that the world is looking at things. It's like, okay, what is causing more nutrient dense food and feed? And, you know, what, how does the soil live? And for an example, when I first joined Redmond, so like probably 15 years ago, um, I've been here for 17 years, 15 years ago, Utah State University, my alma mater, came down to our county and gave a soil presentation, and the whole thing was about N, P, and K. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, what about soil microbes? The only thing he said then was, well, remember when Grandma said to come in when you're outside playing in the dirt and wash your hands? Just do that. Oh my That's gosh. all he said. Oh now... You know, 15 years later, they come down and guess what they're talking about? Biology. Yeah. They're talking about soil microbes. So the tide is changing because people are challenging that because common sense is saying, wait a minute, these Band-Aids and drugs aren't the answer. Yeah. (laughs) And so I I love that that's happening. I do too. Do you think, is there enough of a shift happening on the commercial level that you, do you think that we'll be able to flip the tide and conserve some of that soil because I hear people talking about topsoil loss and nutrient loss. Like, do you think that people will, you're starting to see enough of an interest that we could potentially reverse some of the damage? Boy, I hope so. I mean, it's, it's a big world and we have a lot of people to feed and it's going to take time, but, but it is coming. And so some of the products that we're playing with that are beyond just our own that we mine here in Utah um, one of our sales guys has just been traipsing up and down the West Coast, and even in California, they're getting a lot of attention and request, even commercially, like you're talking, for you know this chicken manure product mm-hmm. that we're that we're dealing with and things like that. So they are looking beyond the old traditional. So there's a lot of that going on, but it'll be a while for a lot of others too. You know how the flow always goes: yes. early adopters and yep. you know on through the bell curve. So. It is coming, but it'll probably be slow as my guess Yeah, in, in, in the big way, in the big commercial operations. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. But it is promising to see that interest mm-hmm. grow. Yeah. What have we left behind in our race towards progress? That's the question that I set out to answer in my latest book, Old Fashioned on Purpose. It's no secret to people like you and I that something is rippling through humanity at the moment. More and more people are feeling pulled and called to cast aside the baggage of modern life in favor of something more meaningful. To me, an old-fashioned on-purpose life is an awakening. It's a remembering. It's a returning to what matters. And it's available to everyone, whether you have a homestead or not. So the book isn't out yet. It's going to hit shelves on September 26th. But... If you pre-order right now, I've put together a kind of outrageous package of bonuses. There's a never-before-seen sourdough ebook, there's home dairy guides, there's printable wall art, 
uh, a virtual meet and greet, all kinds of stuff. And you can get that right away. So if you want to check it out, get all the details, head on over to oldfashionedbook.com. You can see the cover, you can check out the bonuses, and I can't wait for you to hold it in your hands. All right, now back to our episode. So I want to, I definitely want to get into some of the things that we can do for our soil. But before that, I just want to backtrack just a minute. And I'm, I'm just kind of putting myself back in the shoes of well, the shoes I was in last year or the year before of someone who might be listening in terms of um, their, how do I phrase this? What are some of the things they might be seeing in their home vegetable garden that could be caused by um, biologically dead soil or imbalances or deficiencies that maybe until this moment, they never considered that might be the problem of why something's not growing or why something's not doing as well. Do you have any examples of what symptoms they might be seeing in their plants? Oh, this is probably my, this is probably my weakest spot to be very transparent, Jill. So I don't, again, I don't ever want to mislead anyone, but if I use my own place for an example, you know, stuff can get growing and then all of a sudden it starts to die. And, um, Oh, what's another thing that I've seen? You know, sometimes the presence of, you know, pests, things like that. Um, I'm not a disease expert for sure on home and garden plants and things like that. Um, the Probably the best thing I can, I can answer is some of the things that I have seen that kind of changed that for me. And one of them was, you know, right here, a homegrown Utah company sells a four-step fertilizer program. And I thought, well, maybe I should try that. This is a few years ago. And it, um, it just didn't help. Mm. My stuff just seemed to get worse for a couple of years. And so I stopped that in these last couple of years, I started doing things a little bit more holistically and it has just turned around. So I don't have enough expertise to probably talk about plant diseases or other things that they're seeing, um, in that regard. But, but with, with whole inputs, whole ingredients, and, you know, you can kind of see it, you can smell it. And obviously the visual in your plants, you can kind of tell them you're on the right, on the right path. So I, especially over the air, it's pretty hard to troubleshoot any specific, sure. you know, issue or, or problem like that. But, um, I, I wish I were a little more of an expert on those exact symptoms and what they do, but, um, but I think our products we're looking at and the soil test kit gives us an, at least an indication to help us point in the right direction to help correct some of those things. Right. And, and what I actually love about the kit is even if, I mean, it's so affordable and it's so easy, it's not an ordeal to use. So even if you're like, I'm not sure, maybe and it's not going to hurt you to go grab one and send it in. It, it, I mean, it's, it's going to be data, even if it comes back, everything's perfect. I mean, at least, you know, so I think if nothing yeah. else, just understand, you know, some areas I know are deficient in certain minerals, or I'm always curious about um, nitrogen, just because sometimes I go a little heavy on like too much horse manure, or, you know, not enough. I actually, interestingly enough, found out last year through your kit, that my compost pile, which is a lot of horse manure, basically straight horse manure was low in nitrogen. And I assumed that it was straight nitrogen. And I, is that because, I mean, it's uncovered and it's out in the elements, would that be part of the reason that that might be the case? Yeah, part, part of it can. And in the composting or aging process, a lot of nitrogen escapes mm. as in, a, in a gas form. So one of the beauties of some of the things like Redmond Conditioner, which is a volcanic mineral that we're talking about, we have learned from several people all over that 
when we put that stuff in the manure as it goes or the compost or even when we feed it, it captures some of that nitrogen and holds it. And so there's a little bit more to be offered <clears throat> in, the, <clears throat> in the compost or the manure. But yeah, you're right. Nitrogen can still be something you have to supplement and that's okay. Again, we're we're saying supplement what you need to supplement, yeah. but that's sometimes why it gets low is because it just gases off so easily. Yeah. That was definitely, As it, ages. it was definitely enlightening because I just assumed, you know, I'd go, go past the compost pile of straight nitrogen. Well, it was not. So that was, you know, mm-hmm. knowledge is power. So having that data is, is always a good yep. thing. So, um, yep. okay. So we get, we have our soil kit, we get back the results and there are some things that are off, some minerals that are a little off. Maybe it's not quite where people want, um, different elements. So kind of walk us through the step of what they can okay. do next. <clears throat> So I was just looking at mine this morning in preparation and my soil, and I live in a clay area. Same. So it's a pretty, you know, this is a mountain Utah Valley. And so there's a lot of clay here in this particular spot and it's a challenge for people. And so mine, for example, has plenty of, of, uh, phosphorus and potassium and even sulfur's okay magnesium. So I don't lack for macronutrients, but my, my soil structure and the chemistry and the pH is high seven and a half to eight. And so that presents its own set of challenges. And so usually what that means is, is things are kind of locked up or it's hard to get them available. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done these last couple of years, the things that we'll talk about here is put things in that improve, um, the conductivity the, the cation exchange capacity is already fairly high because clays bring that, and that's why you like a little bit of clay in your soil. Um, but always um, things like volcanic minerals and, and compost or things like that really help almost any soil. That's why we kind of go down that road. So the way I've looked at mine is it says, okay, I need a little bit of nitrogen, so I will use a little bit of nitrogen. I'm a little low in some traces, and then in pH, one of the products we've chosen is has a, a good amount of sulfur in it. And so that will help to correct that pH level. But that takes time. Even people that say they can move pH, you just don't try to move pH because you have to physically change your soil to do that. Mm. It's a slow process unless you just bring in loads of something. You could bring in, so for heavy, you could bring in loads of you know, calcium lime or something like that, but that's expensive and difficult. So we just, again, we just nudge things in the right direction with the right inputs after we've looked at our soil test. So I I use a soil test kit to take care of definite outliers. If there's an extreme case of something that's really low, like nitrogen or calcium or whatever it is, go ahead and find some things that are good natural products that'll help with that. Um, And then when we use Redmond products on ours, that kind of takes care. There's so many of the traces and they're in the right balance <clears throat> and proportion. And I have, I have become more a friend of these. Like, for example, one of the products we're playing with is only a 442. And just in case somebody doesn't know, that's 4% nitrogen, 4% phosphorus, 2% potassium. Not high numbers, everybody thinks. Mm-hmm. And I used to do it. I used to think, man, I'm going to go get some 31% N and if you do that, just be really careful with it, you know? So, but the properties that come with this 442 with volcanic minerals, lots of trace elements, um, the ability to capture nitrogen and utilize it and 
you know, this whole balance of what nature offers with some chicken manure and the carbon, the food for actual, the bugs can actually eat. So they have something to eat because mm-hmm. they can't just eat minerals all the time. You know, that's the way I have approached that. And it's, it's made a lot of difference. Um, so that that's what we look at is those kind of things. The products, I don't know if this is the place, Jill, to put this in, but the products that I keep referring to and talking about, we've, We've used our own, which is, you know, everybody kind of knows sea salt okay. in the human yep. diet. But yep. that same concept for for soil and animals, too. We have had great results and collected great data on this stuff. We have the volcanic um, clay product, which for those who are old enough to remember things like Mount St. Helens, whenever clay deposits get spewed in the soil, when things kind of balance out, mm. they actually really help the soil ability to produce well. Um, you can find documentaries and stories about that if you search. So those two things we mine here in Utah, but then we have found um, a product that we use that has a fair kind of a natural balance of some sulfur, potassium, calcium that augments really well with ours because it has a little bit more than ours. And then the chicken manure and the process that it goes through and sometimes even a little bit of, of soluble humates. So those are the kind of products we're talking about. And when I use those, and we've been testing for 10 or 15 years, we've tested for about five years with controlled, a research independent organization, which this was all done in Wisconsin. Um, and so we've, we've put together quite a bit of data, but those are the things that I have tackled the challenges that I've had here in my soil. And we've had people all across the United States do it the same way. And so with this lineup of products, yeah, we're not looking at extreme amounts. Yeah. I've, I've begun to not look at extreme amounts. Even in animal nutrition, I don't do that. When people say, man, you need a 15% calcium mineral, I'll challenge that all day long because um, of these kind of inputs. Yeah. And we've measured blood and we've measured livers and we've done all that stuff to back up what I'm saying. And so that's that's the way I approach it. And sometimes it's like, okay... Yes, I'm going to put a little nitrogen because my soil test said it. But when I put these other things, that makes this soil wake up and it makes it move. And my property now is a whole lot better than it ever was on a just a, you know, hardware store fertilizer program. Yeah. So that's kind of the way the way I approach it. I love that. And I, I guess. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go, go, go ahead. Let's go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say I love the idea of nudging instead of this drastic thing. You know, I, I see that sometimes in the, the nutrition world, like you said, you know, people, they're like, oh, I'm low in this vitamin. So I'm going to take excessive amounts of this, this pill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I've heard other health gurus go, no, you just kind of like, it just goes right out of you. It doesn't do what you think it's going to do. And so I love this idea that this gentle nudging, um, which is evidenced by the products. I did have a, I did have a question about the salt. I guess I kind of always thought that salt in soil was bad, but I'm assuming it has to do with the amounts that you're adding. Yeah. Okay. It, it does. And that is a very good question. And especially it seems like out here in the Western States, in the Eastern States, this is one of the things that I wish that soil test would analyze, but it doesn't is to tell you what your sodium is. But here's what we've learned. Um, in, in areas, if you do ever get a soil test, like if you go to the university or whatever extension service or something and get a more extensive one, you can do that, and that's and you can get more of those measures. But but if you're 
and it almost doesn't matter what the sodium level is, but so many farms, especially when you use more, I won't say certified organic, but organic type practices. So you're staying natural and you're trying to, to go that route, like most of us do, to be healthy. Um, the first thing I have said over many, many years is when farms transition to organic, their soil starts screaming for salt. And here's cool. why. People don't talk about salt in the soil, but every one of those fertilizers that you have are, are laced with that stuff. And the reason is, is electrical conductivity. We have measured this, and Redmond salt is off the charts for electrical conductivity. So just like in your mm. food, you don't need very much. You put just a little bit on your food to season it and bring it savor, right? Yes. That's the same thing we're doing to the soil, but it drives the electrical conductivity, which is the spark plug to the soil. So let's say you have a finely tuned engine. That is the spark plug. And so even okay. in these soils, like in the West, that have high amounts of salt, we certainly would never use very much at all. Maybe sometimes not even. But what we have learned, one of our sales guys just brought a soil test from Montana. And the base saturation was 12% for sodium. And it should be like 3 But he still oh. had used our products on his soil. And he still increased his feed value by about 20 points. So another example is we had a guy that would take our salt and, and brine it and make a foliar spray for his customers. They okay. had their own research farm in Nevada, which is this high pH soil again. But he called one day and he said, I need to put about 400 pounds an acre of your stuff on my farm because with this foliar thing, we can't, it has its place, but we can't build soil that way. And he said, we just need to build the soil yeah. and get it moving again. And so even in Nevada, he comes out puts about 400 pounds an acre on his hay fields to get the biology moving. So that's, so that's the kicker for that, but it is not very much. Right. And it's okay. on a, yeah, on a, on a per acre basis. I know most of your listeners are probably on a per square foot, but you know, it isn't very much. We'll use, <clears throat> we'll use a 50 pound bag on a whole acre. So it's just hardly anything. Uh, it's about like sprinkling a little bit on your food. Sure. So we're not going to change the salt structure and the minerals in their balance and proportion of this are going to be utilized because what we've learned is after five or six years of repeated applications, we are not increasing the salt levels in the soil because it gets utilized. So hmm. the more natural the approaches you take, the more it actually calls for a little bit of that, but emphasis is a little. And then, and then the volcanic products we use, you can use a little bit more because they aren't salt. But they have that balance and proportion, so you have proper buffering and complexation, and you get the synergy of what nature has to offer, and that and that's why those work so well. They're higher in, in cation exchange capacity, or CEC. Some people know that, which is just simply the, the ability for, for nutrients and water to move in the soil. And so those are the things that we're causing to happen with these kinds of inputs that the, the biology, if you pay attention to the biology, a lot of other things will take care of themselves in that, yeah. you know, complex, in nature's intelligence. Yeah. That's just fascinating about the salt. I just never, <laughs> never thought of it like that before, but it makes so much sense with the conductivity and everything. Just mind blown. Okay. Um, my other question was about the chicken manure product, because I'm just kind of curious, is it just straight chicken manure? I'm assuming it's composted chicken manure. I mean, honestly, normally I'm like all about home composting and I'm always encouraging that, but 
the last couple of years, it's been a struggle. And sometimes even though I have my big pile of horse manure, I haven't been able to use it because we had um, amino pyrrolid contamination in the pile from herbicide spray. Mm. So like the, the hay we didn't realize had been sprayed, the horses ate it, and that stuff does not go away anytime soon. And so I have murdered yeah. multiple plants with <clears throat> the poison compost. And so now I have this big pile and I'm like scared to use it. So there's times where I'm like, this is pathetic. I am a homesteader with lots of animals and I have no compost. So if someone's in my position, can you kind of explain the chicken manure product a little bit? Cause I feel like that could be a really good option. Yeah. So in the first place, um, this source of chicken manure is from organic farms. So that's the one good thing. And so it is not composted and I'm still learning the way they process through it. Um, this is kind of new for us, but I have been on enough field trips and talked enough with these guys, and I have witnessed with my own eyes on many farms that we've been on what this is doing. And I think most people intuitively know the good that comes from something like this. And chicken manure has a little bit more favorable profile for most soils than horse and sometimes even cow manure. And so, but those still have their place. I've used quite a bit of my own, you know, the horse and cow manure we've had on our place. But so it isn't, it isn't completely composted. So it still has a fair, you know, it's still got a, like the 4% nitrogen level in it. Um, but what it's going to do, the cool thing about like manures and composts, and, you know, some people have even used things like molasses or sugar or things like that. That's actually bug food. That's what the, the right bugs that we're talking yeah. about, that's what the microbes need to eat. If we just throw in P and K, they, they got to have something to eat. And that's why we like some organic matter in the soil. Plus, it gives them a place to live and reside and protect themselves from harmful you know, pathogens or whatever. And the cool thing about these volcanic clays, they will tie up things like the stuff you're talking about in your compost pile. So sometimes they'll, oh. they'll take care of that. So, for example, one study that we did, um, I guess it's been two years ago now, by the application of the combination of our, of our volcanic clay and our sea salts, um, we actually tested the, the toxin load on the crops that were grown on it. And it was excessively less. I mean, extra, I hate to even publish the numbers. And it, this happened to be corn silage. This was going to go onto a farm that fed corn silage. Okay. And so we measured the corn silage. And the toxin loads were at least eight and up to 16 times less on the stuff that was treated with these products because they have the ability to, again, to nature's intelligence, to bind up the right things, to control the right things, to release the right things. And so that's where we began. Well, it, it began before that. It just gave us more confidence in that it's probably not a bad idea to use some of these volcanic minerals in your manure program. So if you are composting, go ahead and just layer some in. It doesn't take a lot, but layer some in. And even if it just ages and you don't fully compost it, that's fine. Um, or you can fully compost it. That will help to control some of that stuff. And by the way, we even feed our animals that stuff when they've been exposed to toxins or to, you know, glyphosate or any other of these mm -hmm. sprays and things you're talking about. And it will do a good job of helping keep animals healthy um, when they've been exposed to that. So these are just some of the great things that nature has provided us. It's just really cool. That you is, know, and we don't yeah. have, we don't have to use drugs on it, antibiotics or whatever, you know? Yeah, that's okay. I, I did not, I did not know this. So I, I didn't, I thought I was stuck because 
I've had it happen twice. And both times it took at least two years for the microbes to work through the herbicide. And I, so I basically couldn't plant anything in those places in my garden once they'd been exposed to the poison stuff. Like, I, I mean, I'd plant things and I'd watch them and they grow and then they curl. And then that, that was the end. And so I, oh, I thought so I was, compost was the, that was the cause of that. That then. was the cause. Okay. Yeah. Which is so horrendous did, when you, did you test that Jill? Did you test that compost? Is that how you learned that? Well, I, to my knowledge, there isn't a test. And of course the herbicide okay. company, I've Googled their FAQ on it and they're not very helpful. They are just like, Oh, it's super safe. Yeah. It's fine. It rarely happens. And that's not the case because it's all over the internet. But what I realized is it was a direct correlation to hay. And then I realized when I was looking at other pictures of this type of contamination online, it was a dead ringer. Like it was, it doesn't kill the plant. They just get kind of gnarly and thickened and it basically just stunts their nutrient uptake and they just, they just stay the same. They don't ever completely die. They just stay the same. It's for, it's for broadleaf plants only. Um, Is that fully composted, that pile that you have that you can't use? Well, it's not, or, or is it, or is it just aged it's mostly? Just aged. You know, I'm not really great okay. about mm-hmm. turning it. And in the research I did, right. and I haven't tried this. They said that um, it can. Sit, they said it can sit in a compost pile, like an anaerobic area, up to five years. But they mm-hmm. said once you spread it, and get it back in the soil, the microbes in the soil will will get through it and whatever, neutralize it within about two years. And that's what I have found to be the, the case. Is once it's in a bed, you know, it's too late to get it out. So I just have to leave the bed. After about two years, I can plant anything in the bed and not have an issue. But now I'm wondering if I could sprinkle some of that volcanic clay additive in there and that might help. It, it might do. And I would be careful with it. You know, don't yeah. go hog wild go and crazy. replant 150 tomatoes again. I, I will try not you to know, kill them. But maybe tomatoes. test it on a smaller area. <laughs> but. But I mean, one of those things when you back up and look at things, they use clays for soil remediation. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably know that because of its ability to do those kind of things. So that might be of help. But yeah, it's worth a try because I mean, it, it, otherwise I'm yeah. just waiting. So I could, I won't go hog mm-hmm. wild. I promise. But it makes sense because like we use other, like even other clays for binding toxins in our bodies. Like mm-hmm. I know people do bentonite clays yep. with detox, or you can do it on your skin to pull things out. So. I mean, it makes total sense. And it's, that's 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 what we do with ours. Yeah. So Redmond clay on the personal side, you've probably used that I one, have. I'm guessing. I love I love the yeah. clay mask for your face and so yeah. and for our agriculture um base that's the same concept and we we use those things, but it, it just does it's one of those products that God gave us that's a you know, it has a thousand uses. It's really yeah. cool what it can do. And we've done a lot of testing on it. Yeah. For feed efficiency and for the minerals and you know, the toxin binding and all those, all those cool things. That's awesome. Okay. Now I'm excited. I love it when I get these light bulb <laughs> moments on a podcast interview Then I'm like, I've got to try something new. Okay. Um, let's see. I think I just need to visit with you more often and share. I'm sorry. I know. No, it's good. <laughs> we haven't shared enough with you yet. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm learning something new all the time. So, all right. So just as we're kind of wrapping up here, just to summarize it for the listeners, cause we've covered a lot of ground. Um, mm-hmm. First thing that they can do if they want to learn more about soil health, uh, understand maybe why their harvests or their crops aren't quite what they want them to be, get a soil test. It's super easy. It's real affordable. It's not a big, big deal. Then start getting information. And then from there, um, I like what you said. You can kind of, if you have really big outliers, you can take care of those gently. And then for the smaller things to kind of nudge them along with this whole food approach with your soil 
additives. Would you say that's a good summary or what would you add? It, it is. And for one more example, to drive that point, one of the tests that we did, so Redmond Minerals alone, not the, not the chicken mineral, no, those other products, they do have some nitrogen, but, but the Redmond salt and the Redmond conditioner, it's called, or Redmond clay, if it's the human product, we tested that we increased in one year, we tested a four pound per acre nitrogen potential. And someone says, well, how did you do that? You don't have any nitrogen in your products. This is what I love about nature's intelligence. Think about what happens. We buy, we spend lots of money on things like worm castings or worm poop, you know, to put mm -hmm. in our soil or stuff like that. Well, guess what happens in the soil when you wake up the biology? They start yeah. to reproduce, they start to die, they start to cycle. And guess what? That's just like worm castings. Yeah. That becomes, in the nutrition world, we call it microbial protein. In the soil, it's the same concept. So when you wake up the biology and you let the bugs work for you, you create things like nitrogen that you didn't even have to put in. That's nature's intelligence. And that's what, when you do the right inputs, like the chicken manure and this volcanic sulfur stuff and the ribbon volcanic and sea minerals and those kind of things, that is how you start to change things. And when you put a little bit of those kind of things in, you just about can't screw it up. Yeah. And it's going to help about any kind of soil from heavy clay to light sand. It's just, it's just going to help all the way across the board. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point. And I was talking to a permaculturist in a, in a previous episode, and he was talking about how basically when when we find ourselves just really struggling and like the workload's insane and we feel like we're bogged down by the monotony of our, of our chores on the farm. He's like, maybe you should stop and think, is there, is there a better way to do this? Or how can I work with nature to make this a little easier? Um, and I just love that concept because I think some, sometimes in our modern culture, we think in order to earn the vegetables or earn the garden, we just have to just duke it out with nature. Where like you're saying, if we kind of stop, step back and look at what, what nature wants, I think it, I think it can really be easier. And I've experienced that in my own gardens. You know, when I was till, 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 I'm going to do NPK. I'm going to go the, the conventional route, even though I didn't realize I was doing that, it was more work. And now that I'm compost and mulch and cover crops and kind of being lazy with my tilling, like you said, like the worms are crazy. I got all the, the life in the soil. My clay is changing. I'm seeing more organic matter and it's actually less work for me. So it's just a really cool, um, paradox when you when you're able to grasp that well good i'm glad that 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 uh, resonates with you too that's cool and that, that's a great indicator i think everybody knows that the things you just mentioned when you start seeing that stuff in your soil if you have worms if nothing else yeah. that's a good thing yeah you know you're doing some things right yeah god i love the worms my kids i have mm -hmm. indoctrinated them thoroughly now that they're always like there's a worm mom look at all the worms and i'm like it's good <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna train you Beautiful. up right so you, Understand the soil from the beginning. And so, all right. Um, I guess to kind of tie things up and put a bow on it. So we, you can definitely, if you're listening to this and you want the soil test kit, you can absolutely order that online. Um, and we're going to drop a link in the show notes. And the link, if you just want to, if you remember it as you're listening to this, it's the prairiehomestead.com slash soil test. And if you use the code homestead, you get 15% off. Um, and we'll drop that in the show notes too. And then Aaron, can they order the the amendments online? That's not just for people in Utah, right? Right. And those are, I mean, this is, you're going to be first, Jill. This is, 
Um, we're going to have that in smaller packages, probably some eight pound packages coming available here just in the next few weeks. Okay. So this is brand new that we'll have this complete array. I, I guess I should throw this in to finish. We're going to have probably three options, two of which are going to satisfy most of your listeners. If you have a lot of your own compost and manure, you're going to use one of our products that we call um, Mineralite Build. And if you have if you have need of the chicken manure, which is the main difference, we're going to call that one Grow. And that's really how you determine which one to use, whether you're using your own manure or compost or whether you don't have any. And then to try and keep it simple, and we've tried to get the right ratios to get this natural balance and proportion. So those will become available too. And we can talk later about that for you too. But so watch for any news on that in the next few weeks. And then those would also come available um, online on smaller packages. I love how simple that is. I love that we don't have to read a crazy complicated test result and then try to mad scientist our way with a little bit of this and a little bit of that and piece it all together. I actually did that once I got a, 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 it was before Redmond's had their kit but I did a, a kit from a local university, which was great, but I got this super complicated readout, which I'm sure had wonderful information, and I was so overwhelmed, and then I was literally going to a garden store, like, where's the iron supplement? Where's the potassium supplement? And it didn't, it didn't work, obviously, but it was also super uh, strenuous, so I'm appreciative that you guys have made it so simple. And we'll be happy to answer questions, too, as we go along, because it is complex. There's no question, but we're really trying to make it very simple. Yeah. Awesome. And let nature let nature take the complexity out of it for us. I love it. Yes, I love it. Um, okay, so if someone has further questions, can they, I mean, oh, we directed them, um, and I'm going to continue to direct them to the Redmond website. Is there any other places that they could tap in? Do you guys have um, any other continuing education on your your sites or anything like that? On the redmondagriculture.com website, um, you can go down. uh, There's there's actually a tab for blogs and research. And so we do post new blog material every once in a while. And we have everything from how do you feed your goat kids to how do you do this on your soil or what about your calves or whatever. So that's probably a good place to get continuing education. Um, And there's you can email us from there. You can call us from there. So the website's a good place to go and we're happy to visit with you. So Wonderful. That makes me think I probably should have you on in the future and we can talk about animal mineral options too, because that's a whole other topic and you have a lot of good info on. And that one, I'll, I'll just admit right now, um, I, I can go to the end of the earth with you on that okay. one. Awesome. <laughs> I have a little more strength. Okay. I have a little more strength on the animal side. Awesome. We're, we're still learning a lot about the soil side, but it's so cool what we're learning. Yeah. Well, I think what you shared today was fantastic, and uh, I, I learned new things. I know the audience is going to love it. So thank you so much for, so. for taking the time with us today, and I can't wait to, to see more people use the test and, and get the good info. So, Thank you, Jill. Pleasure.